Okay. Welcome to. An- uh, sorry. <laughs> Get all my human noises out of the way. Okay, okay. Welcome to Analog Stick, a PlayStation 2 podcast. The podcast where we slowly but surely work our way through the entire North American PS2 library, discussing and semi reviewing every game along the way. Today we are covering just one game Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy. I am your co host, Clayton. Joined as always by my co-host, the precursor herself, Morgan. How are you? I, you know, uh, I'm a uh, precursor. So apparently, maybe maybe I'm pretty orb shaped. Yeah. Or whatever. I didn't dive into the lore. What okay. are the precursors? Well, I, I can't <laughs> tell you that. That's actually that is a question that is actually answered. Oh. But okay. so I feel like I shouldn't answer that um, for the sake of spoilers. But they do answer that question. I was gonna come up with a better like joke at the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah, the the precursor is the best I have. Okay. I was gonna be like Daxter apologist or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Taking a step down from our twenty eight games last episode, just focusing on a single entry in the PS2 library. I realized that we also never said our names last episode. We so didn't. <laughs> I don't think we did. Oh. There may have been a point where we like referenced each other. Uh-huh. By our names or something or like i think whenever you talked about nhl and me playing it wrong whenever you were like telling a story about you talking to sage i think you said my name oh yeah yeah but other than that yeah we didn't do it well that's <laughs> I don't so, so that's so bad <laughs> you hate to see you hate yeah, to see it yeah at least we have somewhat of a distinct voice it doesn't sound like you talking to yourself unless unless no i have the sniffles today i apologize i don't know what's up with my schnoz maybe it's that that weather the weather changing that we've been getting every time i see like i i don't know like i come into work and i have the uh, heat turned on and i leave work and i have to like turn the air conditioning on and it's like that level of annoying temperature yeah it's like i come into work in a sweater and i leave work in a t-shirt it's not great yeah that sounds annoying i always get nervous whenever there's like a 40 degree change in temperature between morning and daytime yeah or like evening and daytime i'm like how do how do i dress for this i just feel like that breaks infrastructure somehow and i don't know <laughs> what i mean but like you know <laughs> it breaks the laws of nature cody uh friend cody when he was in chicago during that like really really bad like winter weather storm thing it got to like negative 50 with wind chill there what and the i I think like a week before there was a heat wave and it was like i want to say like 80 to 90 degrees that does sound like that would break something i know right like i get what you mean like a hundred over a hundred degree temperature change within a week i feel like that would break something i don't know what like a building maybe i don't know yeah or like um like the concrete you know how like if concrete like gets water in the cracks and then the water freezes and then it makes mm-hmm. it get all buckled and icky well yeah. to be fair i guess a lot of things did break but i think that was more just a result of it being really cold like his car Probably. just was like yeah this is yeah the car does not work no no <laughs> i don't think cars are supposed to be in that cold before we get into the game okay i wanted to mention that this podcast by the release of this episode will be available on youtube at the joystick youtube channel but also podcast services including just apple and spotify for now I don't really know if there's other podcast services that people use. Those are the only two I've ever used. Whatever. So that's that. Do with that what you will. Yeah, do with that what you will. The video version will always just be on YouTube, obviously. Uh, But yeah. Diving into the game, we're talking about Jack and Daxter, the precursor legacy, developed by Naughty Dog, published by Sony Computer Entertainment. 
released on December 3rd, 2001. So we skipped a little bit of games to get here, but that's how we had to do it. We had to recuperate after the onslaught of mediocre games last episode. Uh, yeah, I, I think if we had gone on to cover more mediocre Midnight games... Midnight Club, I think, was next. Yeah, I think that would have broken us just a little bit, emotionally <laughs> and mentally. Especially with how mediocre Midnight Club seemed to be in that first entry. Uh, yeah. It was I have pretty... really fond memories of that series, but yeah, I don't know. Not the first one. <laughs> yeah, not the first one. No. So, codename Project Y... Jack and Daxter went into development with a small team while the majority of Naughty Dog was finishing work on Crash Team Racing for the PS1. Naughty Dog would go on to be acquired by Sony and Jack and Daxter would be an exclusive for the PS2. I don't know when Sucker Punch was acquired. I don't know if you know that off the top of your head. 2011, it says. So, semi-recently, was that 2011? That was after uh, Infamous. Oh yeah, it says Sony buys Infamous Game Developer. Well, not like they're not infamous, but the game was called infamous. Yeah. <laughs> that is an unfortunate yeah, sentence. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I just want I like, I associate Sucker Punch, Insomniac, and Naughty Dog as like a trinity of the Sony exclusive, like first party. The holy trinity, if you will. Yeah. yeah. But Insomniac, I don't think was acquired until like 2016. They've always been in this like second party, I think is the correct terminology, like a second party relationship with Sony. Except okay. for, I guess, uh, Naughty Dog, which was acquired fairly early on, uh, like a decade or so before the rest of them. I don't know. For me, it was hard to... like. I remember uh, like Crash 1 also being an exclusive and stuff, but that was from like an agreement with Universal and Naughty Dog. Right. But it was just exclusive to the PS1. I wonder if that was due to like a lack of parity between like the N64 and whatever Sega was doing. Uh, like on the hardware side, so they uh, kind of had to go to one system. Might have been. I'm not sure. I could, I could see that being a reason for it, other than like a deal. Yeah, that was working. that was I out of know. scope for our research. So, if you if you want to sound a professional about it, <laughs> yeah. If you if you come to this podcast and expect anything more than us reading a slightly paraphrased version of the Wikipedia, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> then you're then you. I'm sorry, it's not for you. But yeah, Sony's got a great after talent, gotta say. Yeah. A lot of the first parties uh, packing heat. I mean, picking up Naughty Dog at this point and then seeing what they go on to create, it's like, man, some good stuff. Oh. Like whether or not like it's for you or when. Do you when know what I they paid for it? I don't know. I wonder if that's I even public didn't information. see it. Okay. My next point is that the development budget for this was $15 million or $24 million adjusted for inflation. Jeez. So they're like really bumping up the uh, the budget on their games. Uh, uh, yeah. It was roughly $2 million for like the Crash Bandicoot games, I think. I'm not sure which game that was referencing. <laughs> Again, incredible in-depth research on our part. Right. But they scaled up the team to almost 40 people going forward. So a decently sized team. I think the Crash uh, team was like six people, right? Is that yeah, what they said? Yeah, I, I believe it. Okay. Like there was a lot of people... And that's one of the things that I heard um, Jason Rubin talk about a lot was there was more people to focus on things like animation and other forms of like visual fidelity and presentation than there were for Crash where it was like people were like wearing a lot of different hats and doing multiple different jobs. So that sounds both very fun and very stressful at the same time. Yeah, it does. Like 
like <laughs> I, I feel like you learn how to like adapt to a lot but at the same time it's like oh my gosh i am responsible for like level design and animation and like coding and like managing bugs and bug fixes like mm-hmm. i don't know that that might break a person <laughs> it's interesting to look at like the i don't know the best word for it but like the inflation of what it takes to make a game like over the years like looking at like uh 16-bit era 8-bit era where it was just like a couple people making a game over like the course of less than a year to now where it's like giant teams working on games for up to five years sometimes and it's like yeah i mean how long is like a a a final fantasy game in development for now (laughs) like no so um that's a that's a funny thing to bring up because i remember um before final fantasy 15 had even come out um I was scrolling through Tumblr, like, back in, like, high school or something, and I saw this, like, post that was, like, a GIF, like, a GIF set of, like, all these, like, Final Fantasy 15 like, cutscenes or whatever, and it was, like, celebrating seven years of Final Fantasy 15, and the game hadn't even come out yet, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. you peep, you poor people, like. <laughs> and you compare, like, that to the original Final Fantasy 6, which I think was developed in under less than a year, oh, and it's like. Oh my gosh, Yeah. It's, it was more doable at that time to have a smaller team right. just because scopes had to be smaller. But still, it sounds like a chaotic, maybe fun work environment. I don't know. The art direction for the Jack and Daxter game took inspiration from both Disney and anime in order to appeal to both an Eastern and Western market. Jason Rubin, the co-founder of Naughty Dog, speaks to this being a mistake for Jack's design he thought that it looked like less inspired and like less cohesive because uh, it was more designed by a committee versus Daxter, which was like designed by a single artist. When he says designed by committee, what he means is they took like focus groups from different areas of the world to get input on Jack's design. So like, you know, like the shapes and the colors, like I think he said they had to be careful about, you know, what sort of colors were part of Jack's like color scheme because colors have a lot of different meanings in a lot of different cultures. And I don't think he was able to remember any specifics of like, oh yeah, this culture selected this element or, you know, I don't know. Do, do you agree? Do you feel like Jack's like character design was a little bit too all over the place? I don't really have that much of a problem with his character design. Uh, we'll talk about this in a moment, but like the whole silent protagonist angle, I feel like was strange like it struck me the whole time that jack never said anything like i was thoroughly expecting him to like contribute into like a conversation but it never happened so just like clayton said so for the um the silent protagonist aspect um he was made a silent protagonist in fear of alienating the player from him so if his personality was like wrong or graded on uh the player's nerves or wasn't um in line with how the player felt they didn't want to, I guess, to let him speak in case, you know, the player decided not to like him for whatever reason. So, like, to compensate for that, Daxter was allowed to have more of a zany, loudmouth, all-over-the-place personality because uh, he was, like, just a sidekick. So, you know, like, if you hate your sidekick, well, that's less, I guess, alienating than if you hate your player character. Mm-hmm. I feel like other than, like, Nintendo games, we've kind of moved away from the idea of a silent protagonist in some regards. Like, Zelda and Mario were silent, but I can't think of a 3D platformer, unless it's, like, Astrobot, where it kind of makes sense that he doesn't have a voice because right. he's, like, a little robot. But, like, I don't know. Well, Sackboy, too. I'm thinking of all examples where there is actually a silent protagonist, but <laughs> I feel like if this game was made today, his character would not have been handled in the same way. 
Right. Just before this, I was listening to Ted Price talk about the design for Spyro's personality in like a developer interview. And he mentioned that originally they got some criticism for Spyro's personality being too like cocky and arrogant. And they wanted to like change that in future games. So I wonder if this was just like a bit of like common knowledge in the industry at the time that like, I don't know, maybe having a voice for your platformer was not a good direction to go. So something that's really funny about what Ted, what Ted Price said. So, so you know how like in Spyro 1, they're like, oh, oh my gosh, he's too cocky. Oops. Like we made him a little bit too like arrogant or whatever. I mean, he's just like a little tiny baby dragon. So it's like kind of Mm -hmm. funny. I think that he has that attitude. I mean, like nowadays, like you can look at it and find it funny. But in Spyro 2, they uh, recast his voice actor. And so his, uh, his voice actor from 2 and then I think in 2 and 3, it, and then of course like in the Reignited trilogy, um, they cast uh, Tom Kenny. Yeah, okay. So, um, and then they sort of like toned down his personality, made him a lot more like easygoing, level-headed, like dialed back the cockiness a lot. Okay, so that was Insomniac's, you know, like first trilogy. Um, and I think it's hilarious that uh, they repeated the same exact issue with Ratchet & Clank. Uh, yeah that's true the first games were more abrasive yeah yeah so in uh the first ratchet and clank game ratchet was kind of like again uh just like a little cocky man with like an attitude problem um very self-centered and very like i I don't know would wanted to put his like motives ahead of the good of the galaxy sort of a thing yeah and so he would butt heads with clank a lot and in the second game they were like oops and so they uh recast ratchet and then uh, dialed his personality way back uh, and made him, again, more level-headed, easygoing, and, like, a nicer That's to true. his sidekick. So <laughs> I think it's just funny that they sort of, like, made the same literal misstep twice and handled it the same way both times. Well, and to that point, I feel like going for a personality for your protagonist and maybe failing in your eyes is still preferable to me as opposed to just not even trying or just being like, no, we're not even going to attempt to give him, like... A person i don't know because like looking at his character design it's like this is interesting and like everyone in this world is like interesting and has like a character personality or whatever right i feel like it would make sense if you made a character for it to not speak but it's kind of weird when i'm presented with a character and that's it like they don't have any further personality past that right well i mean they do let him like emote in some ways. Yeah. Like if yeah. you like watch him and that's like a good thing that, you know, the animation was good enough to get that across to get, you know, that he's not just like a cardboard cutout of a person just like standing in cutscenes and not like really doing anything like he, mm-hmm. you know, interacts with other characters and everything. But uh, that is something that will change going forward. Um, and I'm excited to hear your take on what they did to him. I mean, looking at the box art, I'm a little trepidatious you can kind of tell what happens i think yeah is there guns in the second game yes he's holding a gun in yes the, the he's, uh, he's holding a shotgun that's what that is it's a little little strange uh-huh of a... <laughs> you'll um, i don't know you'll see when we get there and uh anyway <laughs> instead of a personality we gave him a gun right <laughs> well yeah yeah does he okay tell me does he talk in the future games he yes? does okay yeah I think you mentioned that, but I wanted to make sure. Yep. Um, and like I said, it uh, they, they took they definitely took a direction and went for it. So. Mm-hmm. 
in your notes, I saw that you mentioned, uh, like, in future Naughty Dog games even, they are very much not afraid to give their protagonist, like, a strong or abrasive personality. Like, with Uncharted, you're, like, you're literally, like, an extremely cocky adventurer. Right. And with Last of Us, you're, you know, Joel and Ellie, and you're, like, making decisions that you may not agree with as a as the person playing the game. So I think that's It's apples and oranges, because those are more, like, adult, serious types of games. Uncharted's, like, in the middle, I guess, because it's not, like, super heavy. But I don't know. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense, because, like, really, when you think about, um, and maybe this is going to sound, like, way too deep for what it is, but, like, if you think about, you know, the average gamer <laughs> it's going to be playing one of these games like a kid is probably going to be more drawn to jack and daxter and you know like children are less empathetic and less like you know their outlook is like less mature less you know mm, yeah so if if they have a protagonist where they're like well i don't like them then like that's going to be harder to get them to want to play the game than like yeah, if you that's true if you handed yeah. a mature adult you know the, a copy of the last of us and you ask them like hey can you empathize and care with these people they're probably going to have an easier time doing it that makes sense yeah, and maybe that's why it's not as good of a comparison to like compare <laughs> Uncharted to Jack and Daxter. Although, I will mention real quick. Yeah. Does Naughty Dog have like some sort of fixation with foliage? Because I was going to talk about that in the aesthetic section. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can hold off okay, on that. Okay, we'll, we'll hold bring off it up on that. again. Okay. <laughs> and to uh, touch on like the Eastern versus Western appeal that they went for, I think the box art is a really good representation of like trying to appeal to one market, trying to appeal to the other. The Japanese box art, which I saw for the first time only a couple days ago, really looks like an anime. Like the pose and everything and Daxter's like stupid face. Can I just say really quick though that I don't know why they do this because the Japanese box art is always better. Have you ever seen the Sly Cooper <laughs> Japanese box art? Um, Crap. Look Have at I? it. Sly 1? Yeah, look at it. Oh, Japan. Oh, man. But the American one is very just kind of bland. Here's the logo, you know? Right. The uh, Greatest Hits version was a little better, though. Yeah. Yeah. Greatest Hits is better. But the Japanese box art is so... It looks so cool. And like Damn. the font that they use. <laughs> that is good. Isn't it good? Yes. It's so frustrating. <laughs> it feels so, I don't know, dynamic. He's swinging and there's like this verticality as he's looking down on the city. Right, right. I really like it. Yeah, it's... Yeah. The Japanese text helps too. It does. It looks so good. <laughs> I don't know what... Sorry, I'm getting distracted, but... This is the best thing that we can talk about in our auditory podcast. Right. Box <laughs> art. box art that no one can see. <laughs> Video version, maybe I'll throw it in. Maybe if I'm feeling generous. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Japanese box art really has a leg up on... It does. The dumb American... What appeals to a dumb American child? <laughs> well, the, I guess I don't know. You could argue though that the Japanese box art, like it makes it look so detailed, whereas like it's the, a little the American yeah, cover yeah, yeah. gives it like more of a a good expectation of what in game stuff is actually going to look like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, box art. We we could talk about box art for forever. Like modern box art is so much of just a man on a solid color background and with I a hate gun. That. You, know? <laughs> you know what slaps the Final Fantasy box art, like the old box art with like the really detailed, like here have this this rainbow, yeah, super yeah, yeah. detailed artwork, and then this really pretty font. I mm -hmm. mean, it's still on a solid solid color background, but it's like it looks like a work of art. I want my box art to look like art. Is that so terrible? 
Anyway. I want I want my box art to just like give me a little bit of a better idea as to like what the game is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like on the North American box art we have this giant Fabergé egg in the background. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> the pre- precursor orb. Jack and Daxter looking tough but approachable. I guess. You know, I don't know. If I saw a kid that looked like Jack, I don't think I'd approach him. I, I feel Yeah, if like... I saw a kid with like 10 foot long ears, I would not come anywhere close. No. He looks like the kind of kid that would refuse to talk and like punch me in the gut and run away. <laughs> um. But like you kind of get a glimpse of like the world in the background. You see it's a little foresty, tropical. Yeah. In the background with the palm tree, but I don't know. I mean, what I do like about the Japanese box art, I guess, is it shows off the world and, like, the architecture and, like, what's going on in the game. Yes. You see, like, the opening area back there. Yes. Which is nice. Kind of sets the scene for the game a little bit more. Yeah, it does. And personality-wise, I feel like it captures their personality more than the North American version, where they're just kind of looking tough. So. Right. There's more movement. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but there was uh, going to be a a third character to accompany them at one point that was going to be more pet-like. Yeah. It was scrapped very early on. I don't know if they ever had like a fully formed idea of what that pet would be. First thing I thought of would be like a more, like if this was actually going to be an idea that they went with, to have like a more literal, like not sarcastic character. I don't know, to kind of like play with Daxter's like hyper sarcastic personality I thought that would have been funny like a like a stone wall that like out any bit of sarcasm goes over his head <laughs> I felt like that would have been funny that would have been good yeah like um, it almost would have been nice if if Jack was somewhat I maybe not maybe not never oh, mind oh no you're getting close to you're you're getting on a um oh is this is this how they well, approach the future games <laughs> I think to a certain extent, yes. I want to say yes. I realized why I said that, and it's because I watched Guardians of the Galaxy. I was going to say, this is just making me think of Rocket and uh, Drax. Yeah, (laughs) it literally is just Rocket and Drax. Again, monkey typewriter, except the monkey had already watched Shakespeare. Um, (laughs) And then then kind of forgot, but like not quite. And then he kind of forgot, and then he wrote Shakespeare. Right. Uh, So yeah. (laughs) I couldn't think of like what that animal would be, though. Do you have any fun ideas for a third companion? Yeah, so I think if, maybe not necessarily like a companion, but if they would have used uh, Kira a little bit more than they did, which Kira was the hoverbike girl. So remember how like in Crash you have uh, Coco, who's like Mm -hmm. sort of like a foil to Crash in a lot of ways, but like Mm -hmm. still like playable? Um, They could have done something with Kira because I think Kira and Coco are like in the same sort of character vein honestly that's except like... kira's not jack's sister so mm-hmm. she's like also kind of a romantic interest but yeah and that's a little strange yeah um, but we'll get to that in a second right um <laughs> i think that a more fully fledged jack and daxter game in the style as opposed to the later games uh, call of duty style um <laughs> would be a scenario kind of like that that you just laid out where you play as Jack majority of the time, but there's also like, you're like part of this team of Daxter and Kira where it's like, 
there's like missions where you're on like a hover bike and that would be for Kira or there's like I don't know missions where you need to get somewhere small (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) or something like that that sounds like I don't know a fun way to incorporate these side characters these other protagonists into the game in a way that you play as them and also a good excuse to give Jack more personality because he's not like the only protagonist Right, right. Well, and also, like, whenever you have, and I know they do this in, like, Sly Cooper, but it's, like, whenever you turn another, yeah. another character loose in the world, and then you have, like, the, the characters that are still, like, back in the safe house talking to them, it's, like, you can establish more of a, a relationship between all of them that way. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Um, but- and I think having that environment where all the characters kind of play off of each other with their personalities is, I don't know, a lot more potential with what you can do. Yes. With, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Like evolving them and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was noted that the PS2 version, like, or working on the PS2 in general was, like, fairly difficult for developers. Naughty Dog ended up creating their own programming language called Goal. And I don't know if they continued using that going forward or not, but it seemed to be fairly impressive. Considering this was, like, an earlier game on the PS2, it felt like they were doing a lot for, like, creating a creating an engine where you could have like large areas like all connected and you don't have to like go through load screens to like reach other places right which was like a big goal with this um game was to have everything kind of seamless and all connected which i think we'll touch on more a little later Mm -hmm. it was interesting to hear that camera inversion was like a very contentious topic at the time there were a lot of people on the team who were like super convinced that like inversion made sense or that keeping it uninverted made the most sense, which I think is really funny. This is a very confusing time for like camera controls. Um, and I was really disappointed that they didn't just have an option. Like they have, this game has like a, uh, it's got like an option to go like 16 by nine for like the aspect ratio and everything. And I'm like, man, you guys are doing that, but you can't have like a toggle to like flip which way like the inversion goes it feels <laughs> that wasn't strange. like an option at all no like you couldn't change yeah. the oh weird yeah even uh, the launch wait, titles wait. had stuff like that occasionally i meant to i meant to ask you yeah. do you remember since you played um and we can just get into this now mm-hmm. you played the ps3 you played the ps3 version of the game yes uh like the remake trilogy yes did that have the camera controls uninverted or was it do you remember see i don't remember and i'm kind of like a little bit of a freak where i just um deal with the default yeah i deal (laughs) with the default for whatever game i'm playing i don't like switch (laughs) camera Mm -hmm. controls i just put up with it i'm adaptable i can kind of like get used to it after like a couple minutes but yeah i found it annoying that there wasn't just some option yeah i think because i mean that is the solution to like that argument is to just put in an option i'm not a developer i don't know how hard that was maybe the whole game would have fallen apart if we added a toggle (laughs) if if uh camera is not inverted uh no more game (laughs) no more game yeah game no set game no game to false (laughs) (laughs) uh for me i played the ps2 version of the game on a backwards compatible ps3 which i thought looked pretty good uh the ps3 has a smoothing filter that you can turn on or off it's really nice for like the 480i that most ps2 games run in uh where it's like interlaced and stuff 
So it looks pretty jagged without like a smoothing filter on it. And the smoothing filter that they have like built in makes it look a little bit more, I don't know, closer to the remake uh, on the PS3. And with the 16 by 9 uh, aspect ratio option, I could actually play the game and like take up a full, you know, normal HD, like modern screen. So that was nice. I have no like real prior experience with this game. I know you do. I've played this game with you for like 20 minutes, but that's like the entirety of my experience with the Jack and Daxter yeah, we played franchise. Through the, we played through the tutorial together because mm-hmm. I was like, this seems like a game you might like here. Yeah, yeah. Let's play it because I said so. So I got um, I got Jack 2 first. Uh, this is like a weird uh, trend with me. There are plenty of, well, I say plenty. I don't really know how many. There's a lot of game franchises that I really got into because I tried like the second or third game first. And then I was like, whoa, this is good. So uh, mm-hmm. I got Jack 2 first. And I think that's, I, I think I picked it out or like latched onto it because I was like, this looks like Ratchet and Clank. This looks like something that I would like. And then like later when I was in, I don't know, junior high or high school, I picked up Jack and Daxter from GameStop. I remember it was like right when they were starting to phase out the PS2 games because it was in a crappy little papery envelope and it was $5. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. They have like a, they have like a cutoff. I think they only go like one year prior like one generation prior, I mean, where like yeah. they're like phasing out all the PS3 games now. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah. Makes me feel old. <laughs> I know, it's annoying because I feel like GameStop could really thrive as like a retro focused. Oh, it could, yeah. Maybe thrive is an exaggeration, but I think it would be nice. <laughs> well, you would draw more of a crowd that way because there's like a lot of people who are like hungry for their nostalgia that would mm-hmm. show up and be like, oh, I want to dig through the N64 bin. What you got? Yeah, I mean, like, especially now, there's, like, a really big resurgence in, like, retro gaming, whether or not you consider the PS2 retro, but, um, I mean, I consider the PS3 retro, so I'm a bit more liberal with my <laughs> terminology. Do, do you remember the $20 game, like, PS2 bins at Walmart? Yeah. I miss those. I, I I miss those days where I could you just... could pick up, like, Tack and Juju. Right, and yeah. Just... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's crazy looking back at some of those, like, liquidation sales where they're just getting rid of all this old stuff. Right. It's now, like, freaking, like, thousands of dollars on eBay, it feels like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So starting off with, like, the aesthetics of the game, I'll let you take it away with your first little point. Sure. So... Little point. I didn't mean to be demeaning with little point. Well, no, that's fine. It's... Well, it is actually a little point point compared to the other points that I wrote, so... um, (laughs) So we might have already kind of touched on this briefly um, when talking about the game's development. Like, obviously, this was Naughty Dog's next big project after Crash. But as far as aesthetics go, uh, I see a lot of similarities between some of the art design in Crash Bandicoot compared to Jack and Daxter. And Clayton, I know you wanted to talk about the the foliage. What is it with Naughty Dog and their foliage? Because they if really you look love at... It. I think the first Jack and Daxter area that you're in, um, aside from like the tutorial area, I think is called Geyser Rock. That mm-hmm. has a lot of Crash Bandicoot vibes to it. Just like the jungly, you know, lots of like palm trees and lots of green and mm-hmm. uh, rocks and, and that sort of thing. And then uh, the music as well. Yes. Because it's composed by the same person. That would make sense. Um, yeah. And then Sandover Village. I think that's the first village you're in and that also has the jungle area and then the beach area because that's that was like crash crash one's whole vibe (laughs) yeah 
I wonder if there was like someone like high up there who was like really just a fan of like jungle aesthetics and stuff like that that just kind of pushed for this. They're probably like, what do kids love? Kids love jungles. Well, I guess probably <laughs> because like, you know, jungle equals adventure. And yeah. maybe if you want to get really deep into it, if you look at like a lot of like 90s kids content, honestly, do you remember that? What was that one show? Secret of the Hidden Temple or something? Yeah. I remember, I've never actually seen it, but I know when people talk and about like, it, And, yeah. like, you had, like, I don't know when Indiana Jones came out, <laughs> but... I think the 80s, but, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> you know. Maybe not. Jungle Maybe equals not. adventure. That's my thesis. My thesis well, statement. Also, like, if you're just thinking about, like, places to set a game, uh, the jungle kind of gives you a lot of enemy and, like, hazard options with, like, piranhas and snakes. Right. And like temple traps as far as yeah yeah temples and like platforms with like trees and vines and stuff yeah it does it kind of makes sense yeah but even like i I recently played through um the early uncharted games and uncharted one is just like all jungle as well (laughs) (laughs) it's like man they just really hung up on the jungle yeah and even like last of us which is an apocalypse set in cities uh, their version of the apocalypse is one where like nature has reclaimed all these places. So we're again, again, back to all this foliage and stuff. Well, did you know that Last of Us in development was originally intended to be another Jack and Daxter game? What? Yeah. Oh my, I jokingly thought about adding like, they should do a gritty remake of Jack and Dexter. <laughs> so I don't know if it was supposed to be gritty. All I know is it wasn't like that far along in development. Like I think it was just like in like the concept art and like discussion phase. And so the whole like ruined city thing, it will come to make more sense to you after we play the second and third games. Man, can you imagine a greater shift in tone than well, I don't know. Maybe you're about Jack, to I don't experience know. it. <laughs> I know, I know. But like, <laughs> I'm just imagining like some of these like, I'm not going to get into it. But these some of these uh, some of these moments from The Last of Us with with Jack extremely, and Dexter. <laughs> with Jack and Dexter. What if it's uh, sorry? This is what if like um like in the opening of Last of Us, you know how like your your Joel and like your daughter or whatever gets shot, but you yeah. replace it with Jack and then Daxter gets shot. <laughs> And then he finds another loudmouth weasel and adopts it and is like, this is my new friend. Oh, my gosh. And then Someone Last should... of Us 2, Jack gets shot and you're just the weasel. If Man, if Last of Us ever makes its way to PC, Sony's been porting a lot of games to PC, oh, watch yeah. out. Don't make that, that is, mod. We got to make that mod. Or like uh, whenever you die in Last of Us, Dax, uh, Daxter shows up and like shakes you and screams at you like he does in Jack and Daxter. <laughs> That would just be that would make no sense. I know. It's so good. Yeah. How did you feel about his like little shake awake so or like uh before you died thing? I think it's I cute. Found it an, I found some of the longer ones to be annoying. Oh, but I also yeah, found, no, it's annoying. I found dying in general to be annoying. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I think um I think I wasn't so much annoyed with Daxter. Uh I was annoyed with dying and probably how I died was Yeah. Yeah. We're getting a little bit out of order here. Right. But you know, it's how the conversation's flowing. Yeah. Um, I I I prefer platformers that are kind of more lenient, less um 
uh, Dark Soulsy. Uh, <laughs> Are you saying this was Dark Soulsy? Yes. Oh, it's okay. Difficulty. Um, very much like Dark Souls, but I died constantly because I was just being a little careless, and I don't know. I feel like I like platformers where I'm just kind of allowed to be careless and just kind of explore and stuff. Yeah. I think like Celeste, where like <laughs> maybe a weird comparison, but like. Celeste, the penalty for death is like you're set back like four seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like it's a very tiny penalty for dying. And I like stuff like that. Right. Uh, the checkpoint system. I don't know if you like have any knowledge of like how the checkpoint system so worked, but th- it doesn't like it doesn't really give you any indicators of when you hit a checkpoint, does it? Yeah. I, I So like when no you die, it's of, just like, well, mm-hmm. who the heck knows where I'm going to end up? <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back in a second. Okay, I'm back. All right, we're back from our our little intermission. Yeah, except my chair keeps trying to roll away from the mic. Let me get a noisy drink of water, too. <laughs> you know, I feel like I consider this to be our first real episode. Uh, yeah. Where we're actually discussing a game. Yes, this is... Uh, <laughs> As opposed to... Right, I think I like this better. <laughs> I prefer this, yes. So, uh, in the developer commentary, I feel like um, a topic that Jason was uh, focusing on a lot was... Um, animations and that's probably just because I think he was the one that worked on animations in the crash games um, and he was like yeah I'm not actually like not like a real animator like he was just kind of learning as he went <laughs> um, yeah. which that's what happens when you're on a small team and have to wear a lot of hats but I think that um, you know you can really tell like how much effort was put into the animations in this game and I think it probably has some of the best like character animation um, out of any game that I've ever seen on the PS2. Yes. Um, by f- I think by far this is like... I, I don't remember later PS2 games, but like it felt so much like a cartoon. Yeah. And like not to flex my uh, like street cred <laughs> or anything, but I got um, <laughs> a minor in animation production in college. And, you know, like something that I noticed when watching, you know, uh, Jack move around is that the animations really adhere to traditional principles um, of animation. So like exaggerating shapes uh so like lots of squash and stretch um lots of breaking bones um that makes the movement feel more alive and fluid and this really like it's 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 very like complementary to video games i feel like because it makes all of your inputs feel like much more i don't impactful i guess sorry (laughs) are we done are we done there my brain, my brain like shut off for a second. I was fully convinced you had more to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like um, staring at your blue text and like my brain was just like making the dial up noise. I was like, did he ask me a question? <laughs> I just didn't hear it. But yeah, definitely, definitely better than what they were doing with the crash. In the uh, little interview that we were watching, they showed a little clip of Crash versus Jack and Daxter for, like, animation. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was, like, a lot of just, like, I don't even know how to describe Crash's animation, but it was just, like, during the cutscene at the beginning of the game, it was just, like, we're all moving these random parts of our body to show that we're talking right now. Yeah. And everything is much more deliberate and... Uh, well thought out with Jack and Daxter. Right. Um, and then stepping away, I guess, from 
the animations uh, and going on to like the probably like the level design and the art direction as a whole. And not to keep like comparing Jack and Daxter to Crash, but I mean, I feel like that's only fair since Crash was its predecessor. Um, I feel like, and you're free to disagree with me on this because I was kind of like thinking over my opinion on this and I'm not sure like how correct it actually is. But I personally feel like there was more of an effort to keep not only like the environments cohesive, like all the Jack and Daxter levels felt more cohesive to me than all of the Crash Bandicoot levels because it was like all built to feel like it was part of the same universe. Um, and that includes like the characters and the enemies in those levels. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, when you think about like Crash Bandicoot, you know, like you have an ancient Egyptian level and then you have like a snow level and then you have like pirate ships and, you know, it was just like all these different themes wrapped into one thing. And Jack and Daxter kind of does that. Cause like, you know, you have jungles you have caves, you have like a snowy mountaintop, but like the enemies within, like, you know, the lurkers, you can tell which NPCs are lurkers because they have like common characteristics, like the color scheme, the, you know, they they all have like the bright yellow eyes. Right. And that's definitely more important for this game than Crash, I think. Yeah. Crash is annoying with like, now I should preface this by saying Crash 1 is my wheelhouse and past that I have not really played anything. Okay. Um, <laughs> but... Other than, like, some of the PS2 stuff. But it is, like, annoying with the Crash games. Their enemies are just, like, very random. And it's sometimes very hard to tell what is going to kill you and what isn't. Right. So, yeah, I definitely see that. And it it makes sense, also, I think, for the world, for, like, an emphasis to be put on making the world feel cohesive. You know, like, in Crash, um... In, in particularly in the second and third games, which I don't know how much you've played, if any. Only the beginning of, like, both of them. Okay. So in Crash 2, um, instead of, like, Crash 1, where you're, like, on the island map and can, like, walk to different parts of the island, you're just in, yeah. like, um, various, like, levels of a round room with a bunch of doorways around it. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite. <laughs> right. And Crash 3 does something kind of similar where you're in, like, a... Was like a space station or something? I don't know. It's a little better, mm-hmm. but not my favorite. Um, but anyway, so like Jack and Dexter, like the whole um world is connected. So like you can't, you know, you're not just like walking through a little room of doorways. Like you actually have to travel from one part of the world to the other. And you can mm-hmm. like see different parts of the world or like different like levels from like your hub areas and your other levels. So. You see that mountain? You can climb that right. mountain. Right. Yeah. The Skyrim, the Skyrim of the uh, mascot trilogy. And it really triad, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It really can like it gives you a really good like geographical sense of this world and makes it feel a lot more real. Uh, like in a, it's a cartoonish thing, but like it makes it feel grounded. It's not like you're just zipping all around these different locations and stuff. Right. That and the day-night cycle, I thought, really oh, yeah. made the game feel, like, more believable as a world that people would live in. Yeah, definitely. And, like, it's also cool to see how, like, the lighting changes in the environments. Like, I think on Misty yeah. Island, like, the torches feel more um, important <laughs> at night. Yeah, I liked Misty Island. I was expecting Misty Island to be, like, the end of the game. Oh, really? Reason. You know what I mean? Like That kind of makes sense. During, like, that opening cutscene where you're yeah. out there. But it's not... <laughs> So going back to the, um, like, open world feeling, I don't know if this is, like, if if it was, like, a um, 
something that came from Sony or if it was just like something that people were trying to do to show off, you know, their skills on the new hardware. Um, but I also heard, uh, so, so like a goal with uh, Jack and Daxter's development was to eliminate loading screens. So there aren't really any loading screens. You can just walk from level to level without being interrupted by a screen. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they hide that by, you know, sticking you in like these little like hallways that like sort of like hide your view of the level before you get into it. Yeah, and which that's... was honestly really innovative. Yes. Considering where the industry ended up going, where that is kind of a staple in these games. Right. Um, and I know that um, for Ratchet & Clank, they had like a very similar goal in mind, whereas like uh, in Ratchet & Clank, they just hid their loading screens behind the ship traveling cutscenes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just like a funny um, similarity. And then in Sly Cooper, they were just like, ah, frick it. <laughs> <laughs> give them loading screens who cares it's not too bad like i don't mind a loading screen but it is impressive and admirable to like be like we're creating a big open world where you can just walk between places and it's right. not like broken up by loading screens right and definitely more important in something like this where you have or more appreciated in something like this where it's meant to be all in this big island as opposed to like other games where you're darting around across the world and stuff. Right. How do you feel about the uh, the collectibles? This is a collectathon. Yes. So to <laughs> after all to break it down for um, people who might not know, so um, each uh, level or like area of the map has um, precursor orbs, which are the the funky little egg things, power cells, and scout flies to collect. Um, some power cells can only be obtained by trading orbs for them or by completing side quests or, Mm -hmm. um, in like each area, if you collect all seven scout flies, you get a power cell. Um, and, and like power cells are sort of like, uh, I guess like the gatekeeping method between areas of the game where it's like, oh, if you want to get to the next, you know, uh, hub world, you have to give me 25 power cells so I can power your hover bike to get you through this dangerous area or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think it's fine. I don't like, I don't have a problem with collectathons. I loved, uh, Spyro very much and that's a collectathon. So, uh, I, I think it's, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little mixed on how I feel about the whole collectathon thing. Mm-hmm. I like, I like collectathons like this where it's non-linear progression and it's like the goal right now is just that I need... 14 power cells so there's i could get up to 30 of them with the areas that i have around me and it's up to me to if i'm not going for like 100 it's up to me to be like which ones of these do i want to go for uh, i think it makes it more interesting for speed runs too because then it's about like route optimization and like finding out which power cells like i don't know let you progress fastest and stuff like that which i think is fun I- uh, I'm trying to remember. Sorry, I, I know like a little bit about speedrunning the first game. Mm-hmm. And I know that the second hoverbike segment, actually, no, the last two hoverbike segments, I think can be skipped entirely. Oh, okay. But I don't know about the first one. Anyway, continue. Like with a glitch or like with. No, actual... with, with a glitch. Like you're not supposed oh, okay. to. Yeah. So, like, uh, you know how you have to fight Claw? Do you remember Claw, the the guy in the lava? This is the big fire guy? Yeah. yeah. You can, like, glitch into, like, the lava and, like, run past him. 
And then I think you can oh, take the sense. hover bike after that. But then mm. in like the lava tube that leads you to the final boss, there is like a very specific, very hard to do thing where you can like platform on like these teeny tiny little rocks on the ground and get all oh. the way to the final boss. I love it. And I think that's called lava tube skip. That's good. Anyway. This is a fairly short game, all things considered, right? Like I think. Yeah. I, isn't it? I think it's I think less so. than like 10. I can't remember. I've played it very sparsely. Oh, okay. Like over long stretches of time. So. Yeah. But yeah. Um, going back to like the collectibles. I didn't really, again, this is coming back to like a lore perspective. I didn't really understand the significance of the little Fabergé eggs and the, <laughs> uh, the little flies that I was collecting. And the power cells I got a little bit because it was kind of just more of this mysterious power. <laughs> How did you feel about the oracles that talk to you in the funny voice? I feel like that would have scared me as a child. <laughs> They're kind of freaky. Yeah, I know. Like, I also didn't. I so it's precursor orbs and power cells. Yes, the power cells are precursor technology. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think that's why I kept getting them confused. Okay. The first, the first guy that I went up to, it was like, "You need 120 precursor orbs," and I was like, "Oh, so this is like where I go at the end of the game <laughs> when I have all of these precursor orbs." But I was thinking power cells, so it's like. In my head, they they were easy to flip, because I don't know. Even like looking at the word, I feel like a power cell is something a bit more plentiful and disposable, as opposed to a precursor orb, which sounds like a relic. Yeah, but apparently the precursor orbs are just like money. <laughs> they just they just got them. Right, right, and they exchange <laughs> yeah. them, which also seems inconvenient considering how large and cumbersome it would be to trade a hundred and twenty Fabergé <laughs> eggs for. Um, a Mayan uh, fission battery or whatever. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was part of my confusion is that I refuse to call things by their actual names. Yeah, and I think um, I think the lore uh, reason for the scout flies, I think in the tutorial, Kira makes some like offhand comment like, oh, these are my scout flies. I use them to scout new areas, but they got put in boxes. Free them or like, <laughs> something like that. Which okay, good. doesn't make a lot of sense, but there is a lore reason for them being there. I made a point that I was like, I have no idea what those scout flies are for. Okay. Like, yeah. No, those are, <laughs> so. those are Kira's little buddies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move on to uh, the platforming mechanics. Sure. I'll let you take this away. Yeah. Um, this is where my takes, I think, start to get a little bit spicy. And I know that Jack and Dexter is well-beloved and has a very uh, dedicated and still like relatively active fan base, I'm pretty sure. But uh, I uh, did a 100% completion of this game like i got the platinum trophy and everything mm -hmm. um and there were a handful of times i just wanted to rip my hair out <laughs> basically this is just going to start to turn into a list of things that pissed me off about the game okay so uh this is a platformer aside from also being like a collectathon right so understanding character movement to in order to platform is like really important uh i don't know what it is about this game but something about i don't know if it's the camera's field of view or if it's the like gaps presented to me or maybe it's like the the length of that the jack can reach when he jumps in certain ways um or like the way that his momentum carries him a little bit i don't know it just breaks my brain so when you're designing a platforming game there's a golden rule 
where um, you have to have really specific gaps for a single jump, a double jump, and a long jump right. to where the player can easily identify like how long the gap is in order to tell like what jump they're supposed to use to, to bridge that gap. There were a lot of segments I felt like I was cheesing um, by doing a double jump and then a spin attack to turn it into a triple jump because I couldn't tell when I was supposed to double jump or when I was supposed to long jump or like, I don't know. I felt like I just couldn't figure out how to like move efficiently or correctly ever. That was definitely like my main problem with this game is the platforming. Like I think it's pretty impressive in every other regard, like technical, um, the animation and everything and like everything for its time. But I could not get behind the platforming. No. And I listed out a lot of <laughs> my gripes with it. The first thing I put is that I felt like my based movement speed was slower than I wanted it to be. And, or I would have just preferred to have like a run or sprint option because like, I'm thinking like earlier on in the game, like that, um, if you go to the beach in like that first area, I can't remember what it's called. The one with like the pelican that eats the power cell. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I, Sentinel Beach. That's what it's called. Yeah. I died there a couple times and I was like, man, I'm covering just like a lot of ground just to get back to where I am. And it's like, this is kind yes. of, I wish I could just run. Also, you know? it feels like there's some open spaces where running would be nice. Yeah. Also, I just want to cover right quick um, how annoying the health system is. So how it works is uh, you have like three hit points. And in order to recover a hit point, you have to gather 50 um, green eco. So like, yes. if that makes sense. So like, instead of like, um, like in Sly Cooper, how if you pick up 100 coins, you get a horseshoe or a life, an extra life. This, you have to collect green eco. But green eco, I would argue, is not quite as plentiful as coins are in Sly Cooper. <laughs> and I think that's the problem. Also, I felt like I was getting hit when I, f I don't know. I mean... It's a it's a fighting system that you could learn and get better at, but I don't know. I was struggling with, like, using my attack to, like, dash towards someone a little bit, and then it was just, like, barely not reaching them, and then I'd get hit. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, stuff like that. It's hard to gauge, um, like, how long... Like, because, like, when you punch, that carries you, like, a small distance forward, and it's hard to gauge, like, where your punch is going to land, and also how long your spin is going to last, because that was mm -hmm. an issue that I also had. Yeah, and I don't know. I felt like... The game would not have suffered from maybe every instance where you would get like a bundle of green orbs, green eco. Mm -hmm. I f if it was just like one big one, like those big bundles that just give you an extra health slice back. Yeah. I felt like the game would have benefited from that. Like, I don't think, <laughs> I mean, obviously dying is a punishment, but I feel like dying was only ever annoying. I never felt like, oh, I should get better. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It was just like, oh, this some bullshit killed me. Yeah. <laughs> and now I have to walk all the way back <laughs> to where I was. Now I gotta walk all the way over. Yeah. yeah. And like getting more into um, what I didn't like about moving, the jump really bothered me. So combined with like his movement speed and the amount of height that you get from the double jump, which I felt like the double jump was, it felt pathetic. Like <laughs> I felt like I was barely getting any height with anything. Did you, um, did you know about the, um, if you held L1 and just sat there? Jumped. And then yeah. jumped, did you ever figure that out? Well, obviously well, you did. I found out, I found out very, very early on that there were spots I needed to get to that I could not reach 
Um, so I was just like hitting every button to figure out what I could do and like every combination of jump. Yeah. Uh, which is annoying that the game doesn't like point out to you that these are mechanics, but yeah, so there's, there's a long jump. There's like that high jump that you get from being crouched. You have a double jump. Is there anything else? Does that roll get used for anything other than (laughs) jumping? Other than long jump? No. Yeah. I mean, there's not really... Well, no, because there's nothing to, like, duck under. Yeah. So. It's a little weird. And there's no, like, you can you can do, like, the jump attack or the spin to get a little bit. But, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really tell you these mechanics, which is annoying. And I felt like the base jump, I don't know. I was in a situation where, like, it's uh, that early part of the game next to those bowls that you heard. Um, yeah. To get to that precursor guy. Mm-hmm. I was there for a while trying to figure out how to clear those jumps to get to the pillars until I realized that you needed to do a long jump, which is something that I didn't know about at the time. But it was like I could almost get there with a double jump. And I did get there a couple times with a double jump. And I was like, am I supposed to just double jump? Like it wasn't the difference between the amount of distance I got with the long jump versus the double jump didn't feel great enough for me to be able to discern. Yep. Like you said, those jumps needed to be like better spaced out exactly. in a more like uniform way. And that's like a, like I said, that's like key in platforming. And that's something that I feel like uh, was sort of not handled well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also ran into a lot of problems with the camera getting caught on like different bits of geometry and stuff. Cause it's like a physical thing. So, like, you can't, like, move it through walls or, like, anything like that. I mean, camera controls in general are pretty, uh, they're not, they're not mastered in this generation when it comes to, like, 3D games (laughs) or first-person games, even. It took a while, but that was a bit of an issue for me sometimes. You can only move it along the x-axis. You can, like, push in to your character to look, like, closer at Jack for whatever reason, um... But there's no, like, looking up or down, which there were times, like, in that submerged precursor area where there's Mm -hmm. a bit more verticality where I wanted to be able to look up and down, and I couldn't. Did you know about the... like, uh, You probably figured out the first person The first person. Yeah. Yeah. That also sucks. (laughs) It's not... If I'm being honest. Great. What? what? Ratchet and Clank also had the first person thing. What's up with that? Why why are we doing this? (laughs) Well, in Ratchet and Clank, though, you never had to use it if you didn't want to. Right. Unless you were using like the sniper rifle or something in the second game, second, third games. But anyway. Could you, could you look up and down and like in, in third person and ratchet and clank? Yeah. Okay. So there was even less of a reason for it to exist in there. Yeah. I guess if you want, if you wanted to aim your, um, your ratchet throw. (laughs) Your wrench throw. Wrench. I'm like, what is it? it he's, his name isn't Ratchet and he's not holding Ratchet. That would yeah, be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. Just like the, what, isn't like a Ratchet like that thing on the strap? <laughs> yeah. I was like Ratchet and his trusty Ratchet. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Was there any like other utility in this game for that first person mode other than looking? Um. So the, uh, the yellow ego um, gives you the ability oh, to shoot. Yeah. So like... Um, if you wanted to like aim precisely with yellow eco shots, uh, you can do it. It felt like there was a lock on with it though, where you could just kind of throw it in the direction. It would just go to where you were going. Yeah, it it would. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's not, I got a lot of issues with like how the game feels to play. Um, I, 
I find it serviceable. Like you can, it's not like, it's not like playing quap or getting over it or something like that, where it's like so frustrating that it's impossible to enjoy. It's perfectly fine. Um, if you just like kind of, I don't know, take it slower, I guess. Be patient with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the most, maybe one of the most frustrating examples of like obtuse platforming in this game. Do you remember the, um, I think it's like the red sage hut area where you have those stupid mine carts and you have to ride the stupid mine carts around in little circles mm. to get to different. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that? I don't think I said this at any point in this episode. Oh. I should point out that I only made it to that fire boss. <laughs> oh, you didn't beat the game? I didn't. I know. Oh, I thought you I got g- the platinum. No, I was going oh. to. And then I uh, I quickly realized that I didn't want to do that. Okay. Also, I was, was kind of... That's okay. I've been like weirdly short on time. That's all right. Personal, personal, un, personal. I did this. I made myself short on time mainly. Okay. Uh, is what I was trying to say. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, I, I watched up to uh, everything else, which was, I think, just like two more worlds and then the final boss. Yeah. Or something like that. So I, I think if you would have played the section that I'm talking about with the minecarts, I think you would have hated it and probably lost oh, your mind yeah, a yeah. little bit. But anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I would have loved it. I tend to only enjoy the best platformers and the worst platformers. I so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about. Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway, there are some sections of the game where you sort of like transition from because, like, you know, the game is obviously a three D platformer, and it transitions mm-hmm. you into um, like more of like a two D platforming style, or like in a two D space, kind of that makes yes. sense if you saw it yeah, in the game is, it would make sense i i get it it's from um crash bandicoot also had a lot of sections like this yes but i feel like this is something that crash bandicoot actually handled better than this game um in this game i feel like the transition from 3d to 2d platforming is clumsy mm-hmm. so my examples of this which clayton i don't think got to so there's the snowy fort which is like in like the the snowy mountain area and then there's like this um rickety wooden scaffolding thing built around an underground precursor statue in the spider cave um and in those areas you're more so expected to platform like you would in in um a 2d platformer but you Mm -hmm. still have your complete range of 3d motion so like for example when i play it so like in like 2d platforming it's on like a 2d plane so you can move you know either like in an x or y direction Mm-hmm. Whereas in like we're not messing around with z yet no whereas in like 3d you have that z direction when this game switches to 2d platforming it does not get rid of your z direction movement so yes. you can like be trying to jump a gap between two platforms and like you like lose your depth perception and just like totally like eat shit <laughs> and it this sucks. was actually this was occasionally an issue with crash bandicoot games as well where you could always still move on that z axis Right. So there would sometimes be instances where, like, let's say, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, there's, like, you're moving from left to right, but there's a pillar in front of you. You could, like, jump out, like, towards the camera and around the pillar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was weird stuff like that. I think um, what I was saying where Crash handled this better was in the bonus levels. Yeah, where it you, takes away it your... It, like, sets you up on the right 
yeah level almost i don't know right and i don't remember if there is still a way to like i don't know i'm pretty sure your your movement was pretty darn limited to you know uh x and y directions and and, and that is the way to do it yes if you're gonna go 2d you should just lock it right exactly it would make it so much better yeah did you have anything else to add no let's go on to uh subtitles and 100 percent. i do have something to say about 100 percent, but i'll let you get to it and i also i guess i wrote fishing minigame somewhere on here <laughs> yeah i see that uh <laughs> That was my contribution. So, fishing mini game. <laughs> I think when so when you were talking about um not knowing Jack's full move set because the game doesn't tell you, I think there actually might be a point where it tells you about <laughs> long jumping, but you missed it because there is no option to enable subtitles in this game. And also, um, there are bits in the game where Daxter will make he'll he'll make like some like snide little quip or like try to like give you like a helpful hint, but it's like conditional. So he'll only yeah. say it under certain conditions and he'll only say it once and won't repeat himself. So if you combine that with a lack of subtitles, if you miss something that he tells you, you done missed it. You're not you're not going to get to hear it. Subtitles, definitely. That's surprising that there's no subtitles option. Yeah. So like if you're deaf, God help you, which I don't know why if, if you're deaf, why you would be listening to this podcast anyway, but you know what I mean? <laughs> They're reading the auto-generated captions. <laughs> it's probably just like garbled nonsense. And then you get to this part that says, if you're deaf, God help you. And they're just like a single like tear rolls down their face. They're like, yeah. Did I ever tell you about in high school that one girl that I asked if she was deaf? You a- in one out of, loud? In one of my greatest moments. Clayton. <laughs> being alive, I asked if she was deaf. Literally because I saw her doing sign language. And I was like, are you deaf? And she's like, no. But also... How would I? (laughs) (laughs) See, if you had said hard of hearing, that would have been at least partially recoverable. I don't even know how to describe how much of an idiot (laughs) I was and still am. (laughs) Wasn't there also a girl with a speech impediment or something and you thought she was British? That I thought was British? (laughs) I thought she was British. She just sounded kind of British. No, she did sound kind of British. But also more likely speech impediment than British. (laughs) I love being an idiot to a degree. (laughs) Okay. Uh, but yeah so yeah um hey game developers <laughs> any of you that are listening to this i don't know if why you would be but i think they're all listening to this actually maybe uh for the love of god subtitles please and don't do conditional dialogue like that i'm pretty sure that's been like eliminated at this point because i think they yeah somewhere along the line have had to have realized hey that's stupid don't do that anyway mm-hmm. um, i mean if you're gonna tell me how to play the game that should be text on the screen yes. combined with someone telling me like yes and you should be able to, like, repeat it if needed. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's a button combination. Yeah. Like, sure. Like, if long jump was mapped to one button, I would, you know, I would get stuck and I would just press the buttons and I would see, oh, I do a long jump when I press this button. Right. But when it's like a button combination of I roll and jump, which isn't like super obvious. Right. And to roll, you have to be running forward already. Yeah. So you so have to like be running forward, L1, level. then jump. And then you're like, oh. Yeah. That's definitely uh, a mistake. Okay. How about 100%ing? Yeah. So when you 100% the game, they were so gracious as to give us a reward for our efforts. Um, But that reward sucks, especially compared to like other similar games. So like like in Sly Cooper, if you 100% the game, you get uh, either like extra cutscenes that are like fun, like fun cutscenes. 
um, you know, where mm-hmm. you get like a little bit more lore characterization or whatever, and also like um, game developer commentary. And then in Ratchet and Clank, the first game gives you like some fun like Easter eggs, I think like concept art, stuff like that, that you can like access in the menu and that's fun. And like some promotional like commercials and stuff from like different countries and like we'll get into that when we get to that Definitely game. a good reward at the time. Yes. Because I mean, there's no like internet widely accessible exactly. to everyone. So looking that stuff up. And yeah, it's good stuff. My favorite uh, completion reward of all time is the I know it's a weird thing to have. But <laughs> if you had that is to ask the nerdiest me, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on your Tinder profile. Right, right. My favorite um completion <laughs> completionist reward of all time is hands down the Insomniac Museum, which it's only in a, um, oh. a few of the Ratchet and Clank games, but it's basically an extra level that gives you access to like cut content and oh. like developer tools and developer commentary. So it's like all in one spot and like a level where you can interact with it. So it's oh, like man, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I love stuff like that where um, the game isn't afraid to let you know it was developed by people. Yes, like it's like, hey, he's, these are the people that worked on the game, and here's like some of the stuff that they were, I don't know, scrapping and didn't add to the game. It's right. Cool. Um, and like in the Insomniac Museum and like Ratchet and Clank Two, they also have like this big um <clears throat> like tower thing that shows you um like test platforms for how they calculated like the metrics for how ratchet moves around it's like i don't know it's cool stuff anyway that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. this game's reward is actually nothing yes it's a <laughs> brief cutscene where um all you use all of the power cells to open up a big circular door and um there is a white heavenly light emanating from the other side of the door and it doesn't even show you what's on the other side and it cuts and the credits roll it's like it's insulting it's almost. so mean it's so mean because yeah. you're also it's not only like you're you're playing it up and then you're not showing exactly like, yeah know. and that's probably because they didn't know where they were gonna go with it i understand that yeah <sighs> but, but at the same time maybe just don't do that then if you don't know where you're gonna go with it like make it a joke show i don't know something funny right or <laughs> give us instead like developer commentary or something Ooh, that'd be good where like give me a palette swap where i play as daxter and or, yeah or like skins or big head big head mode that give was me a like big a, head mode yeah <laughs> or like mirrored levels or you know i don't know something something yeah anyway i put the fishing mini game on here and i did not feel like talking about it okay uh i'll just say it was very frustrating uh um <laughs> but you didn't ex- wait no maybe you did did you do in the swamp did you get to the swamp level yeah the the oh i did i didn't like go around to everything okay i was gonna say maybe you didn't get to the rat shooting mini game oh with the hillbilly? that sounds mm, that's i don't know about that that's worse than the fish it just <laughs> is okay just than... trust me it sucks okay. it's my least favorite part of the game Oh my god. I'd love those not to get like super off track, but there is Mario Odyssey has like if you're going for one hundred percent, there are some devilish moons because the you collect moons in the game. Right, right. There's some devilish moons that you have to get. Oh boy. Um there's like a bunch of mini games scattered throughout each world. Like silly stuff like jump rope and volleyball, you know. <sighs> you just kinda like yeah. pass stuff. And there's always two moons for each. It's like one for doing like 
a reasonable amount. Like, do five volleys in this volleyball game and we'll give you a moon. Uh, or do, like, ten jump ropes. And then there's a hellish one where it's like, do 1,000 jump ropes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, like, and then awful. we'll give you a moon. It's terrible. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Okay. Let's move on to writing. Sure. Um, Narrative. Yeah. What did you think? So let me, um, I guess, start by giving a brief plot summary. Um, so if you care about spoilers, which I don't know why you, it's not, anyway. <laughs> but just in case. <laughs> Um, how old is this game was when did it come out 2001 uh i think yeah you said, so a yeah so a, a 20 year old could be listening to this right that was born after this game right okay anyway so um basically the premise is that jack and dexter are a couple of screwball goofs that get into into things they shouldn't um while on a little adventure dexter falls into a vat of purple goo and gets turned into an oversized orange ferret which I think the technical, like the the lore n- name for his species is an otzel. So, like, so there's more of him? Well, we'll get there. <laughs> okay, <someday>. fine. <laughs> um, uh, so like kind of like a cross between an otter and a weasel, I guess, is probably where that name comes from. Okay. Um, so the green sage, uh, Samos, is sort of their mentor. Um, I wouldn't go so far to call him as like a parental figure, maybe like a weird uncle. <laughs> yeah, like yells yeah, at weird you uncle vibes. for being mm-hmm. stupid. Anyway, so uh, Samos says they can't help Daxter and they have to talk to the other sages to see if they can fix him or, you know, like change him back because he used to be a normal boy, a pretty doofy looking boy, but yeah, a boy nonetheless. Was. It was a glow up. Sorry. <laughs> um, but little do they know the other sages were kidnapped by um, Gol Acheron, I think is his name, and his sister Maya. Um, I think it's the lore that Gull was the yellow sage, maybe, or maybe not. I don't remember. He was a sage at one point. There was a relationship between the, like, uh, Gull and the green sage. They are brothers. What was his name? Oh, wait. Gull and Samos? Samos, yeah. Oh, do you know what that was? I didn't know that they were brothers, but... Are are they brothers? Wait, are you asking... no, no. So, Goal, sorry, <laughs> Goal and Maya are brother and sister. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, as far as like a relationship with Samos, I have no clue. Um, so the sort of like your the reason why you're like traveling to different areas of the world, um, is to find the sage huts to try and you know find the sage one of the sages to help change Daxter back. Um, but every hut you end up in you find that it's been ransacked and the sages are missing and there are also lurkers that are lurking and i don't really <laughs> remember what their purpose is i think they're lurkers like, gonna lurk what are we gonna say right I mean, um i think so there's like something we've been like kind of mentioning but haven't really explained is that this world has this like substance called the eco and it's basically like these little blobs of energy that have different alignments so like Green eco is aligned with like life and blue eco is aligned with energy. I don't know. Yellow eco makes you shoot out projectiles from your hands. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> really. um, it's gun aligned. Um, gun. Yeah. <laughs> red eco just make you, makes you punch really hard. So it's the alignment of punch you in the face. Yeah. Um, and then there's dark eco, which is 
evil and also turned a boy into an otzel. So (laughs) it's all over the place. Right, right. So I think lurkers are like aligned with dark eco. If I had to guess, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. It seemed that way. I mean, what is also, what is the substance? Is it just kind of... Eco? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, is it a... Like he falls into a vat. Yes. Of this liquid. Yes. And it's like... And the liquid is dark eco. Yeah. The liquid is dark eco. Right. But like the blue eco is just kind of floating there, like energy and same yeah. with the rest of them. Yeah, the rest of them are just like happy little blobs that float there. But I guess for some reason, the dark eco is goop. And I don't <laughs> know if you want me to get really deep about it. If I had to guess, I would assume that dark eco is like um, this world's equivalent to like pollution, maybe. Oh, maybe. Because if you think I about it. I could definitely it, see these games having a pro environmental. Yeah, well, considering maybe. it's called eco. But when you think about it, actually, I'm I'm having like a moment, a galaxy brain moment. The dark eco (laughs) is in its like, you know, when it's like in a vat. I think the vat that Daxter falls into was like a precursor construction in a precursor constructed area. In the underground or the underwater city, there's like a bunch of dark eco there. Yeah, yeah. It's also in the spider caves. And at the, in the final boss, there's a precursor tower thing and there's dark eco there so i wonder if it's this universe's equivalent to oil but it's like really hateful dark magic oil (laughs) oh that that could be it so (laughs) let's get back to the plot sorry um (laughs) but that's just a theory a game theory a game theory yeah so um in the end goal and maya use the power of eco well actually i think it's the power they steal like power from the sages um, to uh, charge up this ancient precursor robot. It's like a giant robot. I don't really know why they do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they try to kill Jack and Daxter with it. But then at the last second, somehow you get access to white ego. Yeah. And then you beat them with it. Um, but I don't remember how the white ego gets there. <laughs> anyway, and yeah. then you win. Yay. I think that... Um... Looking at the time, like, this platformer came out compared to other platformers, contemporaries and stuff, this game had a bigger emphasis on story than I think any platformer before this that I can think of. Like Mario 64, like 64 era stuff, Mm -hmm. like Banjo and all of that. They all had, like, somewhat of a story. And it's, it's bolstered by, like, the higher fidelity of, like, animations and the voice acting and... yeah visual quality and all of that kind of allows for more of an emphasis on characters and stuff where i don't know i felt like games before that didn't really even pay much mind to they were just kind of sandboxes almost where it's like hey you just it's like toys and you play with them and they don't really have this narrative that's uh going through it granted it wasn't the strongest of narratives (laughs) but it was still like it was always there yeah. Like everything you were doing kind of contributed to a narrative point. And I, I think that is kind of aided not to like dig up, you know, our previous discussion back up. But I think that is aided by, you know, the fact that all the environments are for the most part cohesive. So like you you actually feel like you're in a living world that has mm-hmm. history, per- probably because of the precursor civilization and like you're for like some of the environments you're exploring remnants of that civilization. So like that kind of, I don't know. I think that helps make the story feel a little bit stronger. 
I think so too. But it, I think it all. I think it's like all kind of adding to more of an emphasis on a story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want me to move on? Yeah, let's move on to the villains. Okay, because they're worth mentioning. Characters in general, I guess. So, from a narrative perspective, my biggest gripe, aside from Jack being a silent protagonist, I think, um, is that Goal and Maya are basically cardboard cutout cutouts of villains. Um, they're there. But if you try to examine them for any sort of motivation or past or anything that would make them and their actions make more sense, you're not going to find it. I found them to be like two dimensional. They don't have um, depth. And um, in in the developer commentary we listened to, um, the villains of I think just of like Jack and Dexter as a whole um, are seen as like kind of like a weakness of the franchise. Because honestly, if you go back and if you look at um, Crash Bandicoot uh cortex is actually a pretty strong villain (laughs) Um, yeah i mean like he's in every game and he's like and he has so much personality uh, he he does and he has a connection to the appearances yeah Yeah. i felt like these they just like disappeared yeah for most of it's like oh i I completely forgot about them until like they showed up again right uh at like various points because i think they're in the first in like one of the opening cutscenes of the game and like goal gives like a weird villainous speech and then but you don't see them again until you are at the red sage hut which is the last hut you go to before the final boss so it's Mm -hmm. like you just don't get like any time with them and so they just don't feel like they matter also maya's boobs <laughs> i don't know if you remember what my like, in charge yeah <laughs> but maya's boobs are so ridiculous and to a certain I, extent I, cures are too but maya's are worse <laughs> yeah i this is a thing of this era but i feel very uh it's weird because these are like four children and yeah it's like a weirdly sexualized thing especially compared to what goal looks like (laughs) goal is like some like clowny looking old man hunched over with like a stick or something and then maya's just like his hot sister with just huge badonkadonks yeah it's like i i I don't want to speak too much to women's issues but like why not just have a girl (laughs) for kira and like a normal i don't know why like it's weird because it's it's for kids Yes. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird to... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do you, Would you like to move on? Yeah, let's go to the Jack and Kira thing, which kind of plays into this. Yes. Because, um, like, uh, I don't know. What is the point of this? Like, why can't... It'd be nice if there was just, you know, here's Kira, and she's a character. Right. Her character is that she's a mechanic, like, instead of also being a love interest and also being very strangely sexualized. Right. So, so for context... um. At, I think it's maybe at the beginning of the game when you first talk to Kira and meet Kira, it's clear that, like, you're supposed to be like, ooh. Well, I think Daxter tries to hit on her and she, like, slaps him around or something. I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, she's just, like, she's got, like, a crop top and, like, a, a suspenders for a waist. Yeah. And, yeah. Suspenders that hug her boobs, mm-hmm. hang off of her boobs to highlight how big they are. Um and then at the end of the game, I think after you beat the boss, there's like an almost kiss between Jack and Kira, but then I think Daxter yeah. gets in the way. Um, he does something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, this is probably just a weird artifact of the time because, I mean, there's in a lot of kids' media, there's like weird, unnecessary romances <laughs> that don't really need yeah. to be there, but I don't think it's this prevalent anymore. I do kind of like that. 
I don't know. It, I don't watch kids' shows anymore, but it feels like something that has been... Mo- we've moved away from it. Yeah. It's like we're okay having platonic relationships between like young boys and girls and stuff. Or uh, the relationships are better at... What's the word I'm looking for? At representing how actual kids with crushes on each other interact. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think Adventure Time kind of captures the the teenager in love angst kind of well at some points. Yeah. I don't remember. I think it's, it's definitely different. Yeah. So. And I think there was like a, a romance sort of a crush, like a friendly crush thing in Steven Universe. I didn't watch that much of that. Yeah, that was past my time. Um, But like, uh, like in Spider-Man, uh, I can't speak for the last one that came out. What was the last one? No Way. No Way Home. No Way Home. Yeah. The one before that was Far From Home, right? Mm-hmm. okay in far from home the relationship between peter parker and mj was very cute and i think what actual like more more of what actual teenagers act like <laughs> when they have a crush on somebody yeah i think i like their relationship a little bit yeah it's kind of yeah. it's it's like awkward but like in a cute way because teenagers you have, you're babies and you don't know what to do or what you're doing and you take everything way too seriously and freak out over mm-hmm. the dumbest things because that's you, you don't have any other frame of reference anyway but yeah whatever this game did was not it <laughs> yeah and, and like kira is sort of like oblivious to the whole like being attracted you know she's like oblivious to that the whole time it seems like so it's weird that she's just like all of a sudden headed for a smooch right I don't know. and she's not the only sexy mechanic character i feel like that there's something about that that's a trope like, a girl can't just be smart and good at her job. She also has to be sexy on top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's it's, lame. <laughs> it's especially weird for content that is yes. for children. Exactly. I feel like. Yes. Let's uh let's wrap this up. Sure. So, today, mm-hmm. this moment, whenever this is, whatever, you can play Jack and Daxter on PS2, PS3, PS Vita, by extension, and PS4 as well as PS5 through the backwards compatibility stuff. I haven't played the PS4 version. Have you? Nope. I assume, I, I'm assuming it's probably okay. <laughs> but you played the PS3 version. Yeah. You recommend it. Uh, yeah, it's The PS3 totally trilogy fine. is... Yeah, the PS3 trilogy, if you have a PS3, is a, a safe bet. And if they're still accepting purchases, I think it's like $10. Yes. Um, but you're going to have to finagle your way around that. It is a pain... It's very yeah, yeah so do that soon because i think that's ending i actually forgot that i owned it on there because there was the moment whenever they were going to shut it down and i just bought a bunch of the stuff that <laughs> was more expensive to buy physically or was only available on the ps3 store and uh, this was one of those games and i forgot that i owned it so i bought it again so <laughs> <laughs> let that be a tale of caution i guess i don't know <laughs> okay Jack and Daxter has been dead for a while. I don't remember the last thing that came out. I, I think it might have been the racing game. Yep. Although I'm not sure. That sounds about right. I think they made an appearance in Sony PlayStation All-Stars, that fighting game. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. And probably some other stuff like that. Um, I don't know if Daxter came out after for the PS3 or the PSP um not sure there was also something i think was it called like the final frontier or the frontier that was on the psp that i, I think, think that was on ps2 was or maybe it's not i don't think i not. thought it was on the handheld 
Lost Frontier. Lost Frontier. That's what it was. PSP. So there's a another game on PlayStation Portable. But yeah, it's been it's been dead for a while. Um, that came out two thousand nine. I feel like that might have been the last game in the series. Probably. Sony owns the Jack and Daxter IP. They can do with it what they want. It doesn't have to be through Naughty Dog that we get another uh, Jack and Daxter game. I'm not personally convinced that this IP in particular would make a resurgence, and it's certainly not the first um, candidate that I would nominate uh, for Sony to revive. I would love to see Sly Cooper before this, and <laughs> but yeah, that's that's that. I think that if they did revive this franchise, though, by the sounds of two and three, uh, like how, I don't know, unnecessarily mature they sound, I think a game more styled after this first entry would be best. But I'll let you speak to that because I feel like you will have a better perspective to give on this. So basically, uh, my thought um, for this question is please definitely not a racing game <laughs> that I don't even know why they turned it into a racing game. Well, I mean, I, I guess I kind of know why, um, because in the next two entries, there's, um, you know how like this game has the hover bike sections. The next two entries have oh, a lot more yeah. of an emphasis on like being in vehicles. You compared them to GTA before. To try I to did, uh, particularly <laughs> the second game. The second game is probably the most GTA like, but I don't like racing games. <laughs> So that's my hot take. Um, I prefer um, when Jack and Dexter uh, had more of an emphasis on platforming. Uh, I, I think this is actually my favorite game of the trilogy. That seems to be like, I think this is the highest reviewed and I think the okay. highest selling okay. as well. Yeah. Citation needed, but I think that I saw that. Yeah. So basically, like without giving too much away about the next two games, um, I think if they were to, you know, reboot or, you know, put something else out for this franchise, I would rather it just be modeled after this game rather than anything else. Mm -hmm. But that's definitely not the direction the franchise took. So that's probably never going to happen. But that's okay. That is. I think it's I think it's okay. I'm personally not too invested in seeing a new Jack and Daxter game, but I would be excited. I mean, I would I would definitely I don't know, be interested in one, but I'm not like clamoring for another Jack and Daxter. Right. Do you have anything else to say before we bring this to a close? I don't think so. So this has been episode two of Analog Stick. Analog Stick. It's been good. Uh, hopefully by the time this goes live, like I said, it will be on podcast platforms, Spotify and Apple. In particular, you can find the video version on YouTube at Joystick channel i don't know <laughs> on the joystick channel you can find me at pixel.wave on youtube as well and you can find morgan at no 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 okay no you can't find morgan no don't don't come looking <laughs> for me please <laughs> i'd rather you not find me i've uh, i've put myself in a weird little online niche uh or i make memes for a super specific thing and that's my only online activity. So if you if you leave comments though on the um on the joystick videos, I'll probably find you. And that is a threat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or that's that's a good way to start interacting with me, you know? <laughs> Don't find me. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But yeah, that's all we got. Cool. Episode end. <laughs>